Welcome to Ghoul's Night Out with your hostesses, Brandy and Jody. Hello, beautiful ghouls. Welcome. This is Brandy. I'm here with my sister, Jody. Hello. So I have some crazy stories about people who face their imminent death. Okay. So this happened during my undergrad school. Me and a couple of my other friends visited this friend's home. There was a hill near his house. We decided to hike up and watch the sunset. To reach this hill, you have to pass a railway railway line. And that particular day, there was a goods train which had been parked there for some reason. So we had to crawl in between the bogies to cross the track. As usual, we were late when we left home, so the sunset was almost done and it was getting darker. We had to climb the joint coupling in between the bogies to cross it. I, for one, was overexcited to see the goods train and wanted to get inside one of the bogies, which was open from the top. So I climbed up the bogey and then raised my hands standing on the edge of it as if I had achieved something. Then I felt something weird on my forearms, like I was touching some sort of spider web. I was actually in a field of high-tension electric line. If I had raised my hand even a centimeter more, I would have been pulled into the field completely and would have been instantly burnt alive. Still gives me chills thinking about it. That's scary. Yeah. Uh, July 27th, 2002, the Skin Air Show disaster. I, don't, I didn't know what this was, so I looked it up. And it was... A Ukrainian Air Force, uh, it was like an air show, and they ended up killing um, 77 people and injuring 543 people, 100 of which were hospitalized. So more than 10,000 spectators attended the air show, uh, and it was Ukrainian Air Force's 14th air show. It was flown by two experienced pilots, and it entered a rolling maneuver with a downward trajectory at a low altitude. It rolled upright once more, then still descending rapidly when the left wing dropped shortly before it hit the ground, at which point the crew initiated ejection. The aircraft flattened out initially, skidding over the ground toward the stationary aircraft, then striking like a blow against its nose, and then it began to explode and cartwheel into the crowd of spectators. Both pilots survived with minor injuries because they ejected, while 77 spectators were killed, including 28 children. Another hundred were hospitalized for head injuries, burns, and bone fractures. Other injuries were less severe and didn't require hospitalization, but a total of 543 people were injured in the accident, and some bystanders suffered serious mental disorders from what they saw. So, horrifying. Um, And this person is writing about that disaster. So it says, I turned five years old the day before. It's one of my most vivid memories from childhood, how the pilot landed 10 meters away from me and my dad. He was on his knees, his parachute dangling in the wind, and I remember him repeating, what have I done, over and over. I didn't understand much of what happened. My dad only said, close your eyes, we have to go. My dad told me years after that we 
would have gone farther into the crowd, but I refused because my shoelace was untied. Him kneeling to tie my shoe is the only thing that saved us. It wasn't bone-chilling at the time, but when I imagine what my dad must have witnessed, that day gives me goosebumps. That's scary. That is scary. Okay, I was a grown-ass adult trying to get my exercise in during a super hot Florida summer, so I was out walking by myself after around midnight. It's a super small community, and it, it would be rare to come across another person. A truck passed me slowly and close enough to see two sketchy-looking guys in it. They turned the corner, and I saw the head beams slow to a stop, do a U-turn, and then head back. I had been walking past some wooded lots, so I made a beeline deep into the center of them and crouched in the brush. I watched the truck inch by, U-turn, and repeat over 15 minutes before they left. I walked through the woods to get to my yard. I later heard that a truck with the same description and two similar, similar, <laughs> similarly described guys were wanted for an attempted kidnapping of a neighborhood girl of 11. Ugh. Disgusting. Disgusting. Leave people alone. I hate people. Uh, ice fists. <laughs> ice fists? Ice, ice fisting. Is oh. What I was say. Ice fisting. Ice fisting. Ice fishing on a north, uh, far north lake. Not a big lake, but known for good fishing. We fished a while, got nothing, then heard a loud crack, and the ice split from one side of the lake to the other. One side of the now two different giant slabs of ice began to sink an inch or so under the other half. Water started running out onto the top of the ice. Uh, Get to shore gently ASAP, I yelled to my buddy. By the time we got to shore, the one side of the ice was beginning to break up and the other close behind. The ice practically self-destructed. That's scary. You couldn't pay me enough to go ice fishing. Or be on the ice, period. Yeah, no. That's scary. And it could break any time. That's like a risk I wouldn't want to take. Nope. So I was in the lobby of the World Trade Center on September 11th when the plane hit. Although I didn't know a plane had hit, what I experienced was a sound like a, a building bending and metal tearing. Then all of the doors in the lobby blew open and burning hot air blew in my face and it sounds like hell was coming through those stairs. Turns out I was right. I jumped behind the lobby desk and covered my head. The explosion poured into the lobby and I could feel myself start to burn, but eventually burned out and... I was mostly okay, then ran out. Mm, scary. Scary. Fucking scary. Because at that point, you're like, what the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. You have no clue. Especially, if you know, like a plane like ran into the building. Are you kidding? Who would believe that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. That wouldn't be the first thought that ran through your mind. No, not at all. I was fighting a house fire and realizing that I had very hot feet. Through concrete sold boots. My officer and I immediately noped the fuck out. Hot feet means you're standing above a fire. As fire burns upward, it's weakening the floor beneath you. So we were about to plummet into a basement fire. Mm. That's scary. Yeah. I was helping check cows on my family's ranch. I got out there in my car 
just a little before dusk. The cows were all kind of scattered, so I decided to just walk in so I don't stir them too much and get a better look. I was checking for any baby calves. I'm well into the field, like a solid five-minute walk from my car at least. Looking around at all the cows, checking the ones that were kind of looking close, close on calving, I see some of the cows farthest away from me kind of stir, so I look and see something dark and large, cat-shaped and crouched low to the ground, slowly stalking some of the cows. I live in West Texas, so jaguars aren't really a thing, but there had been rumors for years about this jaguar that stalked up and down the creek that went right by our ranch. It probably was just a dark-colored mountain lion, but either way, it was definitely not something I wanted to mess with, in the dark and away from my vehicle with no gun. I'm not ashamed to say I left the cows to fend for themselves <laughs> and ran as fast as I could through the field back to my car. I did check the next day, and all the cows were safe and accounted for. Hmm. That's surprising. It is. <clears throat> Maybe that cat wanted to eat him. <laughs> While I was a kid, a storm rolled in while I was camping with my family. We were about a half a mile away from the nearest shelter when the sirens went off. As we were running, I could hear full-grown white pines snap in half around us, and when I looked up, I saw the clouds begin to spin in a circle directly above us. I set a personal record for a half-mile sprint that day, and I still haven't beaten over a decade later. <laughs> yeah, I'd be running pretty fast, too. Yeah. I was exploring an abandoned high-rise. High Out of the blue, my friend grabbed me by the collar from behind. I was about to step into an elevator shaft. After swearing at him, what the fuck, he said, look. I saw a drop of like 20 floors on a, to a concrete bottom with a broken metal rod sticking out of it. We went home. He saved my life 100%. Ugh. That is scary. My ex and I decided to go spelunking. We ended up in a lava flow cave on our bellies with just a flashlight. The flashlight died. I could feel my heart rate and anxiety start to rise. Luckily, I had a lighter that lasted just long enough for us to get back to a small amount of natural light to get out. Ugh. Nope. Don't go spelunking. I was walking my dog, and suddenly he's in full-blown defend-his-owner stance, barking and growling. It's pitch black outside, and I live on a wooded street in the boonies. A 500-pound bear was six meters from us. He got up, looked me in the eye, and then casually walked away. <laughs> One time I was out in Colorado with some buddies hiking near the top of a mountain. Some bad weather started to roll in, but the top was only 15 minutes away, so I went ahead while they went back down. As I was getting to the top, I felt static in the air, and the hair in my head started to stand up. I immediately started to panic because I thought I was about to get struck by lightning, so naturally, I run down without ever getting to the top. I'm not sure if I was going to get struck, but I sure as hell wasn't sticking around to find out. Mm -hmm. And this is my last one. I was living in eastern Washington when my friend, who was really into show dogs, decided to buy a Doberman from an esteemed breeder in Montana. He wasn't a confident driver, so he rented a van and had me drive him to pick it up, with my girlfriend riding along. We got a late start because of the rental company, and it was past midnight when we made it out of the pass through the Rockies, and the snow was picking up. 
We drove a couple more hours through winding roads in the middle of absolute nothing until we get to the breeder's place. Just a trailer out in the country with no other signs of life around. Of course, we accept her offer to stay until morning. She shows us a spare room, and it's covered in floor-to-ceiling, wall-to-wall, saw memorabilia. More merch than you would expect that series to have, including a life-size jigsaw doll on a trike. The kicker was a fucking bear trap just sitting on the floor. My friend and I, my girlfriend and I took the bed while my friend who got us into this uh, slept with his head a foot away from the trap. Not to mention about a dozen fully grown Dobermans roaming the property. We woke up promptly at seven, packed the dog up, and got the fuck out of there. <laughs> that is creepy. Oh my gosh. Okay, I did um, Bigfoot stories, and I got this from a book. It's called True Scary Bigfoot Sightings, Volume 3, and let's see who wrote it. Sorry, I am not. Some person wrote a book that Jody will know. There it is. Bigfoot wrote it. <laughs> it doesn't say. B- Bigfoot wrote it. Whatever. Maybe it's just the, the, the storytellers. They're the authors. I don't know, but whatever. Okay. In the early to mid-October of 1981, I was a sprightly 17-year-old, still finding my way in the world. I had taken up a weekend job in Fayetteville, a quaint town nestled 28 miles away from my home in Salome Springs. Those mornings, my journey to work commenced around 5.30 a.m., the world cloaked in the mysterious hues of dawn. My route unfurled along the old Highway 68, a solitary road winding its way toward Fayetteville through the sleepy town of Springdale. One fateful morning, as the world was still draped in a slumberous veil, I embarked on my routine drive to work. My eyes scanned the familiar scenery, the quiet countryside bathed in the soft glow of the impending sunrise. However, this morning was destined to be unlike any other. As I approached the vicinity of Fairmount Road, a peculiar sight arrested my attention. There, by the bridge that loomed in the distance, a figure emerged from the shadows. At first, I dismissed it as nothing more than a coyote or perhaps a large dog, scratching at the earth beneath the bridge with its hind legs. It seemed like an ordinary occurrence, just another chapter in the tale of rural life. Yet, as my car drew closer, a creeping unease began to gnaw at my senses. This was no mere canine or wild creature. My heart quickened as the realization dawned upon me. Before me stood a creature of legend, a Sasquatch. Its appearance was striking, a mesmerizing blend of hues that seemed borrowed from the earth itself. A reddish-brown coat of fur adorned its frame, but what struck me was the area around its face. There, the fur was sparse, revealing a skin tone that was distinctly lighter than the rest of its body. Its face, framed by a shock of hair, bore an uncanny resemblance to the human visage, a feature rarely associated with the elusive Sasquatch. In the dim light of dawn, our eyes met, and a profound sense of astonishment washed over me. The creature seemed startled by my presence, as if it hadn't anticipated encountering a human so early in the day. My trusty vehicle, a humble Volkswagen bug, bore dim headlights that cast a feeble glow, hardly enough to pierce the morning gloom. 
I glanced into my rearview mirror as I crossed the bridge, only to witness the astonishing sight of the Sasquatch leaping to its feet and darting across the road. Its movements were mesmerizing, characterized by long graceful strides that carried it swiftly away from the bridge and into the depths of the forest beyond. In those fleeting moments I tried to discern the creature's phys physicality. It stood at an imposing height, a looming figure that might have stretched close to seven feet tall. Yet, to my surprise, it appeared thinner than the preconceived image I had carried in my mind. The Sasquatch's actions, especially its initial digging at the ground near the bridge, seemed to mimic the behaviors of primates. There was an undeniable grace in the way it moved, akin to a human's gait, albeit with another otherworldly aura. As I continued my journey to work that day, I couldn't shake the profound encounter I had just experienced. It was a moment etched into my memory, a brush with the unknown that defied explanation. The Sasquatch, that elusive enigma of the wilderness, had crossed my path, leaving an indelible mark on my life, forever shrouded in the cloak of mystery. That was beautifully written. It was. It was very weird. <laughs> not used to getting stories that well. I written. know, but like it, they they made Bigfoot sound beautiful. Yeah, that's great. Story number two. In the picturesque town of Bentonville, Arkansas, nestled amidst, amidst the rolling hills and serene landscapes, my father and I shared a connection that transcended the or the ordinary. Our lives, seemingly ordinary on the surface, were touched by an extraordinary encounter that would forever bind us together. An encounter with the elusive and enig enigmatic creature known as Bigfoot. It all began on one of those quiet evenings when the soft glow of the setting sun painted the world in hues of gold and amber. I had just purchased a little book of ghost stories and Bigfoot sightings, and my fascination with the legendary creature had taken root. I couldn't help but share my newfound interest with my father. As we settled into our conversation, my father's eyes bore the distant gaze of someone who had seen something beyond the realm of everyday life. He began to recount a story that, at first, sounded too fantastical to be true. He spoke of a day when he had ventured into the wilds of Bentonville, riding ATVs with a group of friends. Little did he know that this recreational outing would forever change the course of his life. On that day, my father found himself at the forefront of their motley crew, navigating the rugged terrain that led to a dirt road. As the trailblazer, he descended the hill and reached the dirt road, where he patiently waited for his companions to follow. It was during this brief moment of respite that an, an, uh, an otherworldly sight unfurled before him. I need to find out who the author is. <laughs> Across the dirt road beyond the hill, a breathtaking scene unfolded amidst the trees. The golden fingers of the evening sun gently filtered through the leaves, casting dappled shadows on the forest floor. Amidst this ethereal play of light and darkness, my father beheld a sight that would forever be etched into his memory, the unmistakable silhouette of Bigfoot. The creature, seemingly unaffected by the presence of human onlookers, took slow, deliberate steps that were far larger than any ordinary man's. Its towering figure reached heights of approximately eight feet, and yet its true color remained shrouded in mystery. The brilliant rays of the setting sun played tricks on perception, casting Bigfoot as a mere shadow amidst the trees. The moment of wonder, however, was short-lived. As the rest of the ATV group descended the hill, 
my father eagerly recounted the incredible sight he had witnessed. Yet the reactions of his friends were far from what he had anticipated. Doubt and skepticism hung heavy in the air, and his narrative was met with incredulity. (laughs) How do you say that? I guess that was... Anyway, for years, my father carried the secret encounter with Bigfoot within him, sharing it with only a select few who were willing to lend an open ear. The the details may have faded with time, but the essence of the story remained imprinted on his soul. The reason I now share this tale with you, dear reader, is twofold. Firstly, it's my earnest endeavor to preserve this remarkable account of our family's history, a chapter that bridges the line between folklore and reality, Secondly, as fate would have it, I find myself seated in a biology class at Bentonville High School taught by a teacher whose passion for the mysteries of the natural world knows no bounds. Our classroom has become a haven for cryptozoological explorations led by none other than our remarkable marine biologist and cryptozoologist instructor. Here, under the guidance of this teacher, we've embarked on a journey of discovery, delving into the depths of knowledge about Bigfoot. I would have loved to have taken that Fuck class. yeah. It's a great... Like high school? Yeah. Gee, that's great. Our studies have been enriched by movies like The Legend of Boggy Creek, a captivating exploration of the legendary creature that once graced my father's life. As I learn more about the myster- the mysteries of Bigfoot, I'm reminded of my father's extraordinary encounter, a story that defies easy explanation and lives on as a testament to the uncharted territories that await our exploration. In this land of rolling hills and whispered legends, the spirit of adventure thrives and the mysteries of the forest are whispered in hushed tones, passed down through generations. Well, that's cool. I believe him. With all these sightings, he has to be real. And the fact that they keep saying that they don't really recognize the color of the fur makes me think another dimension. Well, I think they just didn't see the color because he was in shadow. Oh. Well, the other one said that they couldn't quite pinpoint what color the fur was, too. I thought. Oh, they did? I thought so. Oh, I don't know. Story number three. In the late November of... 2000, my son and I embarked on a tranquil expedition along the picturesque shores of Beaver Lake in search of arrowheads. The crisp, sunny morning bathed the surroundings in a golden hue and the temperature hovered around a comfortable 50 degrees, making it perfect sweatshirt weather. Little did we know that this serene outing would soon be punctuated by a series of mystifying events. As we strolled along the expansive shoreline, our faithful terrier dog scampered ahead, its keen nose detecting something intriguing. The canine had latched onto a trail of raccoon tracks, a well-defined path etched in the sandy soil. We followed the meandering course of these tracks, which led us about 20 yards away from the water's edge. It was an unusual day at the lake. The shoreline was more expansive than usual, courtesy of a recent dearth of rain. The raccoon tracks perhaps seeking sustenance or adventure, proceeded confidently until they reached a peculiar and intriguing scene. The packed sandy soil bore witness to a disturbance, signs of a scuffle or altercation that had taken place in that very spot. 
The narrative took a baffling turn when we observed that the raccoon tracks intersected with not one but two sets of footprints that bore an uncanny resemblance to those of humans. These mysterious tracks had emerged from the nearby wood line, converging at the scene of the disturbance. It was at this point that the raccoon tracks inexplicably ceased to exist, Aww. as though they had vanished into thin air. Now, without the benefit of a camera or tape measure, we can only rely on our estimations, but the proportions of these footprints left an indelible impression on us. One set of tracks, the larger of the two, measured an astonishing 16 to 17 inches in length and spanned about 5 to 6 inches across at the ball of the foot. The smaller set, which ran parallel to the larger, were approximately 11 inches in length and measured around 4 to 5 inches at the ball. What struck us most was the depth of these impressions. The larger footprints were embedded in the soil to a depth of about 4 inches, while the smaller pair left only a couple of inches in its wake. Additionally, these tracks possessed an uncanny flatness in appearance, unlike anything we had ever seen. Curiosity piqued, we decided to follow the tracks backward, tracing their path through the woods, hoping to glean some insight into their origin. Alas, our pursuit came to an abrupt halt as the forest floor transitioned into firmer ground, blanketed with a thick carpet of fallen leaves. The trail had seemingly vanished into the woods, leaving us with a sense of intrigue and unanswered questions. One peculiar detail further deepened the enigma. Throughout this strange encounter, our terrier dog exhibited highly unusual behavior. The usually composed canine began whining its unease, began whining its unease palpable. It even went so far as to defecate and urinate on the site of the disturbance, and then attempted to cover the location with sand and dirt. The events of that November morning remain etched into our memories, a mysterious chapter in our lives that defied explanation. We would never or we would forever wonder about the origins of those perplexing footprints and the strange disturbance by the lake, leaving us with a sense that the world held secrets far beyond our understanding. Sounds like a Bigfoot couple had a trash panda snack. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Or a child with a an adult yeah could be story number four late one moonlit night my wife and i embarked on a serene stroll through our property guided by the gentle glow of the moon our intention was to find the perfect spots for stargazing as we contemplated acquiring a telescope we decided to drive our car to the very end of our driveway which stretched approximately a quarter of a mile from the main road flanked by thick woods on both sides as we set out on our journey, the air was crisp and the night held an aura of calm. However, as we reached the halfway point of our driveway, a peculiar sensation washed over us, as though unseen eyes were observing our every move. We paused, attempting to shake off the eerie feeling, but it persisted, growing more unsettling by the second. Suddenly, the tranquil night was shattered by an uproar from the woods to our left. The cacophony that erupted was deafening, like the thunderous approach of a stampede. We were both gripped by shock and panic, and in that moment, our instincts kicked in. My wife, Reba, acted first, her primal instincts compelling her to flee from the looming threat. She sprinted back towards our vehicle, desperate to put distance between herself and whatever lurked in the woods. I wanted to get out of there as fast as I could, she later recounted, her voice quivering as she described the terror that had overtaken her. 
She implored me to follow, but my curiosity and fear kept me rooted in place. In the midst of this chaotic encounter, I had the presence of mind to retrieve a flashlight from my pocket. I needed to see what we were up against. The flashlight's beam pierced the darkness, illuminating the nearby woods. As I scanned the area, I was assaulted by a putrid, nauseating odor that clawed at my senses. It was a stench unlike any other, a noxious blend of roadkill and wet dog, tinged with a faint hint of sulfur, akin to the acrid aftermath of a struck match. Mm, I want an <laughs> air freshener with that. Holy shit. Bigfoot scented air fresheners. Gross. They're going to fly off the shelves. <laughs> My heart pounded like a drum and my palms grew clammy, fear coursed through my veins, an emotion entirely unfamiliar to me. Having spent my life in the woods, hunting from the early hours of dawn to the late hours of dusk, I was well acquainted with the sounds of the forest and its denizens. Bobcats, coyotes, raccoons, panthers, wild hogs, I could distinguish their sounds without a second thought. I was no stranger to solitude or the eerie tranquility of the woods at night. However, the creature that confronted us that night was unlike anything I had ever encountered. It approached with deliberate, measured steps, each one punctuated by the crash of underbrush and snapping of branches. The noise was so thunderous that it seemed to belong to a creature of colossal proportions. It charged towards us, then stopped abruptly, only to charge again, each time sounding as if a behemoth were charging through the woods. The encounter was relentless, and the creature seemed to be closing in, its menacing presence palpable. Yet, despite the overwhelming terror that gripped me, I refused to turn my back on the unseen threat. I maintained a defensive stance, my flashlight scanning the woods, desperately searching for any sign of the creature that had shattered our peaceful night. As the minutes stretched on, I grew increasingly desperate, my heart racing in tandem with the creature's approach. I was convinced that my fate was sealed that I would finally lay eyes on this enigmatic being. I called out in a stern, commanding tone, hoping against hope that it might halt its relentless advance. That's enough. Just stay back, I shouted into the darkness, my voice trembling with fear. And then, as suddenly as it had begun, the frenzied cacophony ceased. The creature seemed to understand my command, and an eerie, still eerie stillness settled over the woods. In the dim glow of the flashlight, I continued to scan the surroundings, my senses heightened, and my body tensed in anticipation. With great caution, I began a slow retreat, my flashlight piercing the inky darkness, ready to fend off any unseen ass assailant. I felt compelled to maintain my vigilance, never turning my back, never relenting in my watchful stance. Eventually, I reached the crest of the hill, and a sense of safety washed over me. I dared to turn around, my flashlight still at the ready. In the distance, I could barely discern the outline of our car, and I knew it was time to rejoin my wife, who had wisely retreated to the safety of our vehicle. As I sprinted back up the hill, the fear that had consumed me slowly began to recede, replaced by a sense of awe and bewilderment. My wife had locked herself inside the car, and with great urgency she unlocked the doors to allow me entry. I clambered inside, and she immediately secured the doors once more. We sped away from that ominous spot, leaving behind the inexplicable terror that had descended upon us. Our minds raced, and our hearts still pounded with the residual fear of the unknown. 
This harrowing encounter marked only the beginning of a series of strange and unsettling events that would transpire on our property in the months that followed. The once familiar woods now harbored mysteries and enigmas that defied explanation. As the months wore on, I delved into research, seeking answers and understanding. My quest led me down a winding path filled with folklore, stories of strange creatures, and a growing realization that the world held secrets far more profound than I could have ever imagined. Was that Bigfoot, you think? I don't know. I don't like the stories where they don't actually see anything. I know. They just hear. Or like they get a feeling. Yeah. It was definitely something trying to get them to go away. Yeah. Okay. I have uh, people who work in the field of in some sort of job field that involves death are having um, explaining their ghost stories or creepy stories. I was once working at a mortuary mortuary and had to go pick up a man from the medical examiner's office. When you do that, at least where I'm from, you get a receipt when they release the body to you. The receipt has all the personal belongings that were with the deceased When I brought the man back to the office, I opened the body bag to make sure all the belongings were there and double-checked the receipt. When I opened the bag, I was stunned to find this dude looked almost exactly like me. He was my age, had similar tattoos in similar spots, had same long hair I do, and even had the same style jewelry I was wearing. It took me so off guard that I stood there uh, until the embalmer came in and was like, Hey, how's it going? Holy shit, that guy looks just like you. It's the only case I've had nightmares about. Ooh. That is like the people that, there's like a, they're twins somewhere. Oh, yeah. And people like swore they, it was this other person. Yeah. Except this one was dead. Oh, gosh. That's creepy. Yeah. I used to be a security guard at a hospital. One night I was doing my rounds. I went into the surgery wing and was walking down the hall when I saw a doctor looking at the whiteboard where all the scheduled surgeries are written down. I said, hello, doctor, and kept going. The doctor didn't say anything back. He just kept studying the whiteboard. When I got back to the security office, I was talking to one of the guys that had been there for years about how I greeted this doctor, and he didn't say anything back. I asked if that was the asshole that they had told me to watch out for. I was asked where I saw him, and I said the surgery ward, and he gave me a smirk. He then explained that the surgery ward closed at 9 p.m., and all the patients are moved into the monitoring wards. There should be no one there. He then asked me if the doctor was studying the schedule board. I said yes, and he told me that I had just met Dr. Lucidi. Apparently, many years ago, one of the surgeons went up to the helipad and jumped off the building. Seems he never stopped working, though. Mm, Creepy. Creepy. I worked as a nursing home assistant for a bit prior to grad school. I worked for a private nursing home where I used to rotate between three different houses. Each house held six residents and two staff members. When I first started, all the residents were women. One time, my coworker and I were in the kitchen prepping lunch for the ladies when we heard a loud voice screaming, Help me! We exchanged a quick glance and immediately scrambled away to check on our respective residents. No one was present on my half of the house, so I went back to the kitchen. My wide-eyed co-worker was there waiting for me with a perplexed expression on her face. I asked her if she heard the voice too, and she responded she did, 
but there had been no one present on her side of the house. We simultaneously looked outside and saw every single one of the residents enjoying the rose garden. In that moment, we both realized the voice we heard was distinctly male. I came to find out that pr- prior to my employment, there was a male resident who was a World War II veteran with PTSD who had passed away there. He would frequently hallucinate and scream for help prior to his death. Mm. During my apprenticeship, I worked at a funeral home said to be haunted by the old funeral director assistant who had a heart attack in the building and died. All he ever did was mess with the chapel lights, and if you called him out something like, John, the family's coming, please don't, they would return to normal. I'm not really sure if I believe it was really haunted, but saying something always fixed the issue, so I kept doing it the entire time I was there. Sounds like a ghost. I used to work in an oncology ward as a nurse. Our side rooms were kept for end-of-life patients on palliative care. The one patient that we had been nursing for a few weeks died early one morning. The patient had moved to the hospital morgue, so all that remained was to clear the room of personal belongings and tidy up. I sent a student nurse that I was mentoring at the time to do this while I got on with the drug round. The student had known the patient fairly well and was comfortable with the job. About 10 minutes later, a colleague came to me and told me that my student had come flying out of the side room white as a sheet and sobbing in the staff room. I went to find out what the problem was, and the student told me she had been clearing out the sink area in the bathroom and had glanced up and saw the deceased patient reflected in the mirror, looking at her over her shoulder. (laughs) My student was a sensible girl, not given to hysterics, but for the remainder of her placement on that ward, she would not go near that side room. That is scary. I don't blame her. I wouldn't go either. No. I'm an ICURN. We had a a septic patient in the unit, and she was 29 weeks pregnant. She went into labor on my shift, and we delivered her baby stillborn. I did postmortem care on the baby, retrieved the proper transport container, and walked the baby down to the morgue. It was the middle of the night, and I was in the elevator alone. I hear a baby start wailing. I absolutely lose my shit and rip open the cover, And just as I go to zip down the bag, I hear a calming male voice say, Hush, little one, I've got you. No need to cry. The crying stopped immediately. Shaking, I opened the bag and saw exactly what I expected to see, a deceased 29-week-old baby. I'm a big, bearded, 40-year-old ICU nurse, and that was still the scariest shit I've ever experienced. No one believes me to this day. I don't want to speculate on what the crying or the voice were. Uh, Even typing it out, I felt my chest tightening. That's crazy. That gave me chills. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, My mom told me stories when I was growing up. Her first job out of nursing school was an RN in the ER of an old hospital in Virginia in the mid-1980s. And there was a man in a hat and a a patient most of the nurses had stories about. The man in the hat would show up and stand outside of rooms after visiting hours, and the patients often died soon after. Uh, Patient one was a woman in a very old hospital gown. She walked through the halls, entering rooms randomly, and those patients usually coded. They took the man to be an omen of death and the woman to be a heads-up 
to grab the crash cart. I used to work in a nursing home. The residents in certain rooms would complain about a man in their room at night, but hallucinations are common in the elderly, so maybe... Oh, it wasn't really noticed. One night, I was mopping the dining room, which had huge windows overlooking the garden. At around 1 a.m., it was around 1 a.m., so it was pitch black outside, and there was low lighting inside. I had this horrible feeling of being watched, so I look up and reflected in the window was a man behind me. He had a brown suit on, a bowler hat, and the cruelest look on his face. He grinned, and his mouth was too big. Ooh. Hate that. I know, that is creepy. This happened in seconds, and when I turned around, there was obviously no one there, but I'll never forget that look of evil on his face. I paid more attention to residents after that, and they'd all seen the same man. He just enjoyed terrorizing people. Hmm. And this is my last one. I was an RN working in a very well off in a very well off town in Mississippi. The hospital had two ICUs, the second one being an overflow unit on the third floor. There were seven rooms in that unit and room two was haunted. Numerous times different nurses watched something walk into the room, but the room would be empty without a patient in it. One time, a nurse had an actual patient in room two. It was about 4 a.m., and the nurse was going to do a dressing change. She took the stuff into the room, and the patient asked what she was doing. She said, changing your dressings. The patient said, oh, no, that other nurse was just in here about 30 minutes ago and did it. The nurse looked, and yes, the dressing was fresh. She went out to the desk and told the other nurse, thanks for doing that. The nurse was baffled and said, I didn't change the dressing. They both freaked out a bit. Rumor has it that the RN who had worked for the hospital for a long time died in that room. The hospital is now a dorm for a big college, so fun times may be had by a bunch of college students. (laughs) (laughs) And those are mine for the week. All right. It's time for the Woody Wrap-Up. Yay, Woody Wrap-Up! Did funny tweets. Just discovered that my five-year-old thinks the lyrics are apple button jeans, boots with the burr, and then he does a little shiver. (laughs) That's cute. (laughs) Picked my kid up from a play date at a pristine home, and the mom said, excuse the mess, Uh, so I guess that's the end of that friendship. (laughs) Yeah. See ya never. (laughs) Toddler, I peed in the potty. Do you want to see? Husband, in this house, we believe women. You don't have to show us. (laughs) When my first son was a baby, I fed him only pureed vegetables in his early weeks of table food. No fruit at first, so he wouldn't develop a taste for too much sweet stuff too soon. Anyway, my second baby, who was six months old, just licked Pop-Tart crumbs off my now three-year-old's fingers. That's funny. (laughs) The teacher who told my son, men are the providers and women are the caregivers, just emailed to say she needs a cantaloupe for the class tomorrow. And damn, I sure hope one of those dads she emailed provides. Huh. Yeah, no shit. Mm -hmm. Listen, I know the term wedgie has been working just fine for us up until now, but if we're looking for something new, my four-year-old just said, my bum is full of pajamas. (laughs) That's definitely one way to put it. (laughs) My bum's full of pajamas. 
I'm writing a suspense thriller about a kid that throws trash everywhere in the house except the trash can. (laughs) That what? I haven't got it on camera yet, but sometimes the dog will walk up behind the baby, sniff his butt, bark to get my attention, and then very pointedly look at the stairs, which I have deduced as code for, your puppy has shit himself again. Oh my god. Moms, just because I'm a mom doesn't mean I know where everything is. Also, moms, your 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 orange and black hat is in the front hall closet, left side, on the second shelf, in the brown wicker bin that is next to the black fabric bin. That's totally accurate. I can't get past the dog. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> Poor dog is sitting there like ten times a day. What the fuck? <laughs> Did that puppy shit himself again? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. My daughter got home from school today and looked me dead in the eye and said, your lunch was a six out of ten today. Oh, no. Sometimes I want to email a kid's parents and be like, listen, you should know that your daughter is on the cusp of being a mean girl. And while this may work out for her short term, you and she should really discuss whether she wants to be selling leggings for an MLM in 30 years. (laughs) They won't listen. No. Eight-year-old, I'm running fast. I'm going like like 10 miles per hour, maybe even five. Homeschooling (laughs) is going well. Oh my god. (laughs) What I said. Mommy is really sick and needs to rest now. What my two-year-old heard. Let's review every shape I've ever learned about. (laughs) My kid is learning French so she can talk to the French aliens in space. And I can't fault her for wanting to be prepared to meet all those French aliens. My seven-year-old, there's a little girl deer poop in our yard. No. My seven-year-old, there's a lot of there's a lot of girl deer poop in our yard. Me, how do you know it's from a girl deer? Seven-year-old, boy deer poop has orange dots in it. Me, how do you know that? Seven-year-old whispers, I know about deer. (laughs) What? I don't know. That's weird. That's very weird. (laughs) Why do people post things about their weird kids online? (laughs) My son caught me kicking crumbs under the fridge. Oh, no. I had to bribe him with ice cream so he didn't tell mom. This wasn't in the parenting book. (laughs) Yeah, never get caught. (laughs) Kids, guess what time it is? Me, 8 o'clock. Kids, wrong. Ha ha, it's 8.02. LOL. (laughs) (laughs) And this is my last one. Mama, I know how SpongeBob SquarePants got his name. My kids solving the mysteries of the universe. (laughs) And that's all I got. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Send your stories in. We need them. Ghoulsnightoutpodcast at gmail.com. You can rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. And we will talk to you next week. Later. Bye.